to the scriptures, uh, Psalm 119, verse 32 says this. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. And so let's pray and ask the Lord to do just that. Heavenly Father, you've promised to be at work within us to indeed enlarge our hearts that we might run in the way of your commandments. And we know that uh, communication from you is communion with you when it is met with a response of trust from us. And we are truly grateful that you have spoken, that we might know and enjoy you. And so our prayer this morning as we come to your word is, is simple. Make us to hear and to trust all that you say that we might love you above all. And this through Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Uh, we are going to be in Second Peter. Uh, over the next two weeks, we will take up this first chapter of Second Peter. Uh, it is Peter's farewell discourse. He uh, tells his readers plainly in this first chapter that he expects to die soon. Um, and he writes with a desire to stir up in these believers what he has already taught them so that when he is gone, they might continue in these things. The letter is set against the backdrop of false teachers um, who threaten the stability of the believer. And it will help us uh, just to make sense of where Peter begins in this book when we understand that it is not only what is taught or what is denied that marks the false teacher, but it's also their very lives, their character. See, many are led astray because of ungodly doctrine, and many are led astray because of ungodly living, especially those who claim faith in Christ. And so pastorally, Peter is reminding his believers that, that they have new life in Christ. Uh, and this new life is for exactly that, a new life, a life that is marked by the character of Christ himself. And so he urges the believers to live holy and godly lives. And by doing so, they keep from falling. They confirm their calling and election and they have assurance that they have a future that's going to be lived in the very presence of God himself. And so with that uh, backdrop, hear the word of God. Second Peter chapter one, beginning in verse one, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control 
and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. And I think it is right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort, so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. And together, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. A number of years ago, I tried my hand, Hannah and I did, tried our hands at gardening. And after that experience, I can officially say that I hate gardening. Um, Now, it's not, don't get me wrong, it's not that I think gardening is uh, not a worthwhile endeavor or a hobby or even a vocation for you. Um, If you love to garden, I love that you love to garden. It's just not my thing. And, I, and it wasn't always bad, though. When I first started, I kind of liked it, right? Um, but over time, it just proved too expensive uh, to my time and to my wallet, to my marriage, and even my overall happiness. Then a, a quick trip to Sprouts really could have produced. Um, and so I gave it up. Now, it wasn't all fruitless, however, right? I mean, I I did produce uh, some pretty mean vegetables one year. And, uh, of course, that was also the year that I picked the seeds based on how cool the names were. Um, So, I mean, who can pass up Big Daddy tomatoes and Home Slice tomatoes? You kind of have to go with it, right? You see it? So, that was a great year. Um, But I do remember when it all went downhill. It was the squash bugs. Now, I knew about squash bugs, right? I had done my research, and so we tracked their movements. We knew their tactics, and we had a ready defense. And, and we, we fought the good fight, right? Year one, nailed it, right? And year two, was nailing it, and then VBS week happened, At the time, I was doing middle school ministry, and so uh, Hannah and I lived out at the middle school camp for six days. And during those six days, the little squash bug community sent their best and brightest into our poor little garden, and they simply took over. We got back, and they were everywhere. I mean, there was adults hanging around on the leaves. There were eggs underneath them, and it was just a disaster. But we didn't give up. We kept fighting that good fight, and we continued to make the battle rage on. And this happened for a while until one morning, I came out to our little garden, and I saw um, our precious little zucchini plant just sort of wilted over 
on his side. And I picked it up and I realized that these squash bugs had like literally hollowed out the inside uh, of, of the zucchini plant, like the stalks or the, the vines or whatever gardening people call that part of the plant, right? It was just gone. Uh, and on the outside, it didn't look bad, but it was destroyed. It, and it was super annoying because I had spent all this time and energy fighting and trying to give health and life to my zucchini plants. And, and all the while, I'm thinking, I think I'm gaining ground back. They're going to have another good year. And the entire time, these insidious little squash bugs were killing my plants from the inside. And in a sense, when I looked at them, I realized now that I really was blind to what was going on. They looked good, um, but they were dying from within. My garden was fallen. I was defeated. But if I can compare zucchini plants for just a moment to the church, um, Peter, in this letter, is concerned with the health of the people. He knows that their inner life must be filled with the life of of Christ, And this reality must prove itself by growth and fruitfulness. And so he writes and he is urging them to walk carefully that they may not wake up one morning and find themselves wilted, fruitless, and fallen. And what he calls for in this first chapter is a growth in character, in godliness, that their lives might reflect the excellence of Christ himself. Because without such growth, without such godly character, they are fruitless, blind, and in danger of falling. You see, God in his grace has given us new life in Christ. And thus we must make every effort to grow in this life marked by him. And so Peter begins, and first he begins by uh, describing this new life that we have in Christ in verse 3 and 4. He says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. The NIV translates that as the godly life. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. His, that is Christ's power is the fundamental starting point. God himself has acted in us with nothing less than his exhaustless power. And this power that is work in us, it works in accordance with his grace. He says that, that, that God grants, that he gives to us not merely some of what we need, but all that we need to live a life that is fruitful, persevering, and honoring to Christ. And the manner in which God makes us the receivers of this great gift is the knowledge of Christ. And this knowledge is different uh, than, than, than uh, just mere information. It is intimate. 
It's, it's the difference between when somebody asks you, hey, do you know this person? And you're like, yeah, I, I know them, kind of, you know, know stuff about them, a few things. And being able to say, I really know my wife. Or I know my husband. Or I know my child. Or I know, really know my friend. It is intimate. It's knowing Jesus and trusting him, his death and resurrection as the very source of our lives. And this knowledge does not come to us because of our own cleverness, our own insight or our own intelligence, but rather it comes from the gracious and powerful calling of God. And this calling is not the outward call to receive the gospel message, but it's the inward call in which the spirit powerfully and effectually draws us to faith in him and also commissions us to live out that faith. And as the spirit comes and does this work in us, he dwells in us and unites us to Christ, And in that way, we become, as Peter says, partakers of the divine nature. And we become partakers of the divine nature so that we might live to his glory and in accordance with his excellence. You see, the believer is so transformed that he might live in harmony with the very character of Christ himself, precisely because we are partakers of the divine nature. Now, it's the same reality, different language, but of what John, the Apostle John speaks of in his gospel when he says that, that we are born again or that we are born from above, that we share in and we have this likeness with Christ. And having this likeness, this new life in Christ, becoming partakers of this divine nature it does not mean that we become divine or, or in some way be, share in his deity in some sense. But, but rather what it means is that we are restored and that we are sanctified into the God-glorifying men and women that we were originally created to be. Imagers of God himself in this world. And in a sense, what we're made to be are like little living Christ statues spread throughout the world that the world may look upon us and see something of Christ's glory and his excellence at work in us and flowing out from us. You see, God, in the beginning, he created the heavens and the earth. And he created the heavens and the earth as his great cosmic temple. And he created men and women as his image bearers, calling us to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth, to fill his temple, so that he might fill his temple with his glory. That all the world might sing his praise. This is the calling he's given to us. And as we pursue this calling, God continues to be at work by the Spirit 
in us to strengthen and to empower us that we might grow and persevere. And the means by which he works in us are his promises. And we have a myriad of promises in the scripture. We have the promise of salvation in Christ. We have the promise of our being united with Jesus in his life and his death and his resurrection. We have the promise of his presence at every turn and in every circumstance and in every place in our lives, both now and forever. We have the promise of his power in our weakness, his grace in our sin. And we have the promise of his preservation of us that we might have this hope residing in us of a future glory lived in his blessed presence. And these and many more are his very great and precious promises. And they grow us. They stir us. They motivate us for this life of faith. And because of all of that, Because that is true, because God, by his powerful goodness, has restored us to our intended human reality. That we might know him and live according to his character. We are to pursue such a life. We must make every effort. Uh, Peter, in the last part of verse 4, says, Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world... Because of sinful desire. You see, his work in us enables us, empowers godliness. You see, God has freed us from the polluting and corrupting power of this current age, which is rooted in sinful desire. Peter says that we have escaped this corruption, that we might flee from it. Also, so that we might flee to that which is good and excellent, to Christ himself. And this becomes the, the, our reality as believers, because the Spirit, he lives in us and unites us to Christ. We become partakers of the divine nature. This is what Paul is getting at when when he said in in 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is in Christ, united to Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, new has come. And also in Romans chapter 7, verses 4 through 6, Paul said, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another. To him who has been raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit to God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive so that we serve the new way of the spirit, not in the old way of the written code. You see, both Peter and Paul make it clear that Christ in his life and in his death and in his resurrection has accomplished a salvation for us that includes not only our justification, but also our sanctification. 
both his, us being declared right and blameless before God, and also his changing us by the work of the Spirit, transforming us more and more into the image of God. This he has done, and it becomes our experience, our reality, as the Spirit unites us to Christ and brings this new life alive to bear fruit in our lives. And then in verse 5, he says, for this reason, because God has done this, given us this new life, we are to make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. Now, the gospel calls us to effort. And realize that earning and effort are, are two different things. And we need to be clear which is which. We do nothing to earn God's goodness and his grace. He just is good and gracious to us, even while we are sinners undeserving of such grace. In fact, his grace comes to us, though what we've actually earned is judgment as a result of our sin and offense against him. You see, this isn't about earning. Christ accomplished salvation, and it is the spirit that applies it and works it out in our lives. But our task is to respond rightly to his work. And the gospel calls us to make every effort, to live to his glory and his excellence, to pursue this godly life that imitates Christ. And so Peter urges us to actively pursue this growth because this is the kind of growth that the very heart of the one transformed by the gospel desires. And he's given us everything we need to pursue such a life. We are to add virtue. This is the same word that's, that's used of Christ's excellence in verse 3. Uh, it refers to that which is superior in every respect. We uh, are to pursue a life filled with purity, goodness, and moral excellence. And this word is not an inwardly focused word, but it's one that indicates outward action. It is a goodness that is lived out and is seen and experienced by those around us. We are to add knowledge. And this knowledge is a little bit different than the knowledge of Christ that leads us to salvation that that he refers to in verse 3. The words are slightly different in the original. In an ethical list, It refers to the wisdom and the discernment that is needed in order to live this virtuous life. Uh, It is a knowledge that is gained. And it's a knowledge that's gained for one purpose. It's knowledge that leads us to live a life that imitates and honors the glory and excellence of Christ. 
And this knowledge is not to be used to set ourselves up over others, to to hurt or to hinder, to control or to manipulate. But rather, it is wisdom that we gain that we might more closely follow Jesus. We are to add self-control, self-restraint, self-discipline. We must learn to master and discipline our desires and not let them control us. And we get a sense of the lack uh, of, of this control in chapter 2, where Peter refers, talking about these false teachers. And in verse 19, he says that they, they promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. And then he adds, for whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. We must learn to master our desires, our appetites, our passions, our pride, our self-righteousness, our anger, our bitterness, and all that falls short of the glory and excellence of Christ. And the reason is we are set free. We are no longer slaves to our sinful desires, but to Christ. We, as Paul said, we belong to another. We belong to him. We are to add steadfastness, perseverance, endurance. Now, this is not some... You know, weird, mixed up, bold heroism, right? It's not a proud and self-righteous fist in the air. Uh, But neither is it like a stoic detachment, just a passive retreat for the sake of ease and comfort. Rather, steadfastness is our faithful and passionate pursuit of God. To trust in the Father. To hope in Christ And the fulfillment of his promises. And to love in the spirit. We are to be steadfast in faith, hope, and love. And we are to add godliness. Our lives are to be marked by a loyalty to God. A commitment to honor him in all things. To love what he loves. To hate what he hates. To pursue what he pursues. And this means looking at our lives and our circumstances. And and then with wisdom, we seek to make our choices and to live it all out in a manner that is consistent with the calling to imitate him. We're to add brotherly affection. Kindness to one another. And there's many, many ways that we can sort of flush the ways that we show one another this love, this brotherly affection. And I just, this one. We live in a harsh culture. it, It doesn't take much for us to see how harsh our culture can be. I mean, turn on the TV, go to a sporting event, go to one with kids, Join a social media platform. 
And you get an idea real quick how harsh our society can be. And I'll be honest, sometimes uh, when we as just Christians at large in, in America are, are dealing with our differences, too often we don't sound all that different from the culture around us. We are, we are called to be different, to be better, to imitate Christ. And what, how we respond to one another is just as important as what we have to say because we are family. And we must learn to treat one another with the care and the respect and the dignity and the honesty and the humility that our family deserves. Even when we disagree, we're disappointed, even in our failures and our frustrations. And again, Christ is our example here. John, in his, the beginning of his gospel, says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. You know, the gospel knows no grace that is not true, but neither does it know truth that is not adorned with grace. Brotherly affection. And we are to add love. Love is the crowning Virtue, and it is to be extended out toward all of humanity. And love has its source in God Himself, the eternal Godhead, Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, this eternal love that exists amongst them. And, and this overflows to us that we might come into it and we might know His love and enjoy His love, but also so that we might share this love that has been shared with us. There's a missionary and a theologian of some note who once said that believers are to undergo three conversions. The conversion to Christ, the conversion to the church, and conversion to the world. Now, obviously, he's using conversion in a different sense in the second two, but, but, but what he does is he helps to give us a, a, a helpful measuring rod for Christian growth and maturity. That we learn to love Jesus. And we learn to love his bride, the church. And we learn... To love the world. For God so loved the world. These qualities must be ours. We must possess them. They must be increasing. In verse 8, Peter says, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. You see, what Peter is writing here is both a warning and a promise. It's a promise. He says, because the Lord is at work in you. Persevere. 
Because the Lord empowers you to godliness. Keep going. Because the Lord has made you his own. Keep pursuing him. And because the Lord has given you this new life in Christ, keep growing in the truth and grace that you might be fruitful and effective in that life. Because if you don't, if you fall back, you're on dangerous ground. You're on dangerous ground. And what Peter is articulating is is what Christ said about fruit trees. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus said, The tree is known by its fruit. The good person, out of his good treasure, brings forth good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, brings forth evil. You see, those supported and supplied and filled with the Spirit live in step with the Spirit. Those whose lives are marked by the sure and sufficient grace of our Lord will desire to grow in that which is in keeping with such grace. Those who have the hope of glory, Christ himself residing in us, will live now in a way that will be true of us then. When the inner life of the believer is restored, the outer life begins to grow and live according to that new nature. Again, my garden experiment. I should have known something was wrong with the inner life of my zucchini plants. Because at some point, they ceased to produce. But while they appeared outwardly, the lack of fruit really should have tipped me off that they were as good as dead inwardly. But for you, Christ is in you. Christ is in you. And so go ahead. Show off his work in you and live for his glory and his excellence. And then Peter gives us this wonderful promise in verse 11. He says, For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, the believer in Jesus who pursues these Christ-like virtues listed here will not only experience the gift of assurance in the presence But even more, we'll have this rich and abundant reward in glory. We will have God. That's the rich, abundant reward. We will have God himself. That's the hope of the believer. We long to see him face to face. We long to live with him and to know the warmth of his glory. We long to rest in his abundant 
goodness. And we long to bow before our eternal King. And this is the promise. You will. Christ is in you. You will see him face to face. You will live in his presence. You will rest in his goodness. And with great joy, you will bow before your eternal king. And that that's worth living for even now. Please pray with me. Father, thank you for being so kind to us that you would set your eternal love upon us. How amazing it is to think about your love, that you have loved your son Jesus in the spirit from all of eternity. And such love is so great, it can't be contained. It overflows into creation and sharing it with us. We are overwhelmed by the fact that you have chosen to draw us up in you, that we might be partakers of this great love, that we might know you, to enjoy you, And have the great privilege of sharing this love with others as recipients of your grace. So, Father, this morning, we pray that you will continue to be at work in us, to strengthen us and to unite us and to grow us. That we might continue to be steadfast, to trust in you and your faithful promises, to to depend and, and to rely and upon Christ and the accomplished salvation and to love in the spirit, to love you, to love one another, to love the world. So Father, as we go out from here, would you leave us with these sweet and precious promises that we will one day stand before you and see you face to face, that we will bask in your pleasure, we will rest in your goodness, and then we'll bow before you And that will be our great joy. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.